Today, I will be unapologetically romantic in my call for us to embrace a life of justice and righteousness as a people of God. Now, yes, I want us to use our brains today, to use our rational and mental faculties. They are essential elements of a healthy faith, and they are necessary and wonderful aspects of our humanity, but so are our hearts. Hearts that beat wildly when they are in love. I have to be romantic today because the prophet Isaiah, of all people, has given us a love song as his guiding metaphor. Yes, a love song from God the lover to God's people, the beloved. Now, I think until today, I don't think I've ever approached the prophetic writings in quite this way. So I'm trying out some new thinking on you in this sermon. Prophets, as you know, are typically seen as strange a bit eccentric, socially awkward, even off-putting to others. They are interested in speaking cold, hard truth, not in how they come across to others or how their listeners respond emotionally. They often use harsh language, dress strangely, eat strange food, live in dark hideaways, we never picture them as the warm and romantic type. They are loners, not lovers. But Isaiah, for some reason, when searching for just the right linguistic form to communicate with God's wayward people, came up with a bright idea of using a love song. So here we go. Let's set the mood. We already have the candles. Maybe we should dim the lights and cue the violins again. Seriously, I hope that you hear me out now. This is as much a stretch for me as it might be for you. Like many of you, I've never been drawn, very drawn to this stream of spirituality. I've had plenty of charismatic friends over the years who eat it up who sing quasi-romantic praise songs to God as lover. I've been more drawn over the years to the life of the mind and to meeting God in nature and with other people and in the arts. I don't picture my relationship with God as a relationship between lovers. Yes, I know I am loved by God, but not in that way. I picture myself being loved more like a parent loves a child. And it is like that. We have that metaphor in scripture also, often. And I picture myself being loved like a creator loves their creation. That's also biblical. But I'm less familiar and less comfortable, frankly, with the idea that the love shared between God and me could in any way be compared to a pair of human lovers or spouses. Now, I know that idea is out there. It's embedded in Christian hymnody. A well-known hymn from the 1930s, not my favorite, 
was made popular by George Beverly Shea. My God and I go in the fields together. We walk and talk as good friends should and do. We clasp our hands, our voices ring with laughter. And it continues, my God and I will go for A together, we'll walk and talk just as good friends do. This earth will pass and with it common trifles, but God and I will go unendingly. Not really my preferred style of music or theology, but I can't dismiss it too quickly because it's entirely biblical. God, as a pining lover, sometimes loved in return, sometimes jilted by their lover, it's a recurring theme in Scripture. We can't deny it. So how do we make sense of it? Hear that? I'm going back to more familiar territory. Making sense. Being rational. But... Let's think about this love song in Isaiah 5 and see where it might connect with us today. God has written this love song using another metaphor, that of a vineyard. Like a lot of the best love songs out there, it's a sad song. More than sad, it's tragic. So God's love song tells about God's self as a farmer tending a vineyard. God's lover is the vineyard, which of course is a symbol of God's beloved people. The song starts out with this dreamy, hopeful vision. God tilled the soil, carefully cleared it of stones, planted the best quality grapevines, built a tower to keep watch over it, to chase off any birds or intruders, carved out a beautiful wine vat out of the stone. Everything needed to produce the choicest and sweetest grapes and the finest wine. The vineyard is picture perfect. A romantic image in itself. But despite all the love that God poured out on God's beloved, it was unrequited. It was not returned. It yielded rotten grapes. No good for eating and worthless for wine. So like a lot of other love songs, this one eventually devolves into a breakup song. Reminiscent of Paul Simon's 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. 
Let's not exactly slip out the back, Jack, make a new plan, stand, no need to be coy, Roy, but it's awfully close to that. God the lover says, I'm stepping back. I'm stepping back. Leaving you to your evil ways. I won't forget you. I won't be far. But I will no longer actively protect you from yourself. Literally, it says in Isaiah, I will remove its hedge. God won't actively harm God's people. God still loves them too too much for that. But in Isaiah, God withdraws God's hand, so to speak, and lets nature take over. Let's it return to the wild. Verse 6, it shall not be pruned or hoed, and it shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. Why did God do this? What exactly were the rotten grapes? It's all explained in verse 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are God's cherished garden. God expected justice, but saw bloodshed. Expected righteousness, but heard a cry. Justice, righteousness. Those were the grapes that God, the lover, was after. This is why, that is why God poured out so much love and time and effort on God's people. God gave and gave and gave them everything they needed to produce what God loves best, justice and righteousness. But they, as it turned out, did not love as God loved. They loved themselves more. They loved what they could accumulate for themselves. They loved the power that they could exert over others. So instead of a beloved community marked by justice and righteousness and the shalom of God, what actually grew in that garden was violence, human oppression and suffering. God said, I expected justice, but saw bloodshed, righteousness, but heard crying. I cannot read a verse like that in the Hebrew Bible and not have my mind drawn to what's happening right now in that very same part of the world. The horrific bloodshed in Gaza and the endless crying and utter destruction going on there in the name of God, as if God is working out God's purposes. God's vineyard is once again, as ever, being mismanaged and bearing rotten grapes. And I have to wonder, is God's response going to be the same? Grief, disappointment, weariness with our wicked ways, and a decision to withdraw God's hand and let come what comes.
And I believe that when it comes to vineyards that God is pouring love into, tilling the soil and carrying out stones and planting vines, etc., those vineyards are not just in and around Jerusalem. God is singing a love song for vineyards all over the world. Those vineyards are in our own backyard. God loves good grapes of justice and righteousness wherever they may grow. And God gives us everything we need to grow them. We frequently misunderstand where God the lover has invested God's self, where God's passion lies. Take a scripture like Isaiah 11, which we also heard this morning, where it says, A shoot will come out of the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. Now we read this, and rightly so, as a sort of messianic foretelling. But what kind of shoot is this? What kind of Messiah? Verse 4, with righteousness he shall judge for the poor and decide with equity for the oppressed of the earth. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist. The shoot that comes out of Jesse's root, Jesse's stump, is not just about a biological connection to David's line. It's describing the sort of life that will spring up where the old has been. It's a life that pursues justice and equity and righteousness. God is all about establishing relationships with people who love righteousness and justice as much as God does. God does not want to extend a pure bloodline based on genetics with those descended from Abraham or King David or Menno Simons or anyone else. God does not want to establish a pure people who engage in just the right and proper rituals and religious rites or recite perfectly worded creedal formulas or speak think, or believe all the right things. No, God wants lovers. God wants worshipers. God wants devotees. People who are utterly smitten, who have fallen in love, who are attracted by everything that smells like God. God wants an exclusive, monogamous, covenantal commitment to God's priorities in this world. God wants to be in a relationship with people who love justice and righteousness. 
Now, sorry if that sounds too romantic for your taste. But this is biblical reality. God is love. God loves us. And we are invited to love God back with the same passion that God pours into us. If we are filled with that kind of love, we will share God's passion for the well-being of all. We will protect the vulnerable. We will care for the poor and the small and the wounded. We will grieve what God grieves. We will be angered at what God is angry at. And we will rejoice in what brings God joy. But like any significant romantic partnership, the romance may ebb and flow. We will go through rough patches in this relationship. It requires effort on our part to maintain closeness. We must learn to forgive ourselves. And, dare I even say it, forgive God. Or at least, forgive the God we thought we knew. When God's perceived actions don't quite line up with what we expected or hoped for. But like any good relationship, we persist. We respect what God has poured into us and into our vineyard, and then we produce fruit accordingly. The more we cultivate our love for God, the more likely our lives will be characterized by loving what God loves. The more likely that we will be ignited with a passion for the same things God is passionate about. So join me if you are willing in this prayer of confession, in your bulletin and on the screens. God, who sings an endless love song to us and to all your creation, we confess we often neglect to listen for your song. We forget the words, cannot recall the tune, we get lost in vain efforts to earn your approval. Still, you keep singing your love for us in the voices of nature, in the tongues of diverse peoples, in the poetry and prose of scripture. God, help us to hear. We will listen and we will sing back to you. The God who made us and loves us and who loves righteousness and justice accepts our confession 
forgives us, and the love song goes on and on and on. <laughs>